0: Yeah, we're going to talk on Nehemiah, we'll carry on the series on the book of Nehemiah called Revive, and um, we're in third week today, and we've got three more weeks to go, and before I really jump into this, I I really was captivated by just the, the, the lyrics that just triggered my heart, and you know... You're beautiful, you're beautiful. And it says, how do you see God? Do you see God? How do you see Him? And, um, you know, some Pharisees back in Jesus' day, they saw Him as a threat. Some saw Him as a rebel who broke the law because He healed people on Sabbath day. In the book of Isaiah, we see Isaiah saw the nation that was around him and the people that were living in sin, and he was saying, woe is them, woe is them. But when he behold the beauty of God, and he said, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And I was thinking of this, and I was trying to imagine, I want, I'm getting somewhere, but I want you to imagine this, that when you have a full revelation of who this Jesus we've been t- singing about, when you capture the beauty of Christ, when you capture the love of Jesus, and you feel undone, and you say, God, God, You are more than enough for me. Peter said the same thing when he realized that Jesus was not just a teacher, a miracle maker, but he was the Messiah. And Peter said the same. He goes, depart from me. Because Peter realized that he's standing in the presence of the Most High God. Why I'm saying that is today, there are some of you here in the auditorium, some of you online who need a fresh but a full revelation of who Jesus is. And let me tell you, when you capture that revelation of God and who Jesus is, it's going to set you free. You don't need to strive anymore. You don't need to labor in your own strength anymore. You don't need to prove anything you recognize that he is not only just beautiful, but he is a forgiving God. Not only just is a forgiving God, but he's a God who will clothe you with righteousness. I sense a lot of us are carrying burdens and, and that's why I was just singing. I couldn't even sing. I just kind of lift my hands up and I said, Lord, you are beautiful. You are so beautiful. You are so beautiful. And I pray that you catch that revelation this morning. As you sit and hear the Word, and as you, as you open your ears and your heart, I pray that God will reveal Himself in the fullness of who He is to you. That you know that you are being undone by the love and the, the peace of God that there is no more striving there is no more wrestling there's no more uh, this deep struggle is just just embracing that pure love of God so God as we open your word we pray would you reveal yourself to us that you are beautiful That you are a healer. That you are a God who brings breakthroughs. You are a God that will cleanse us, purify us. God, reveal yourself, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Who Hallelujah. I'm trying not to cry. I have no idea why I'm crying, but I I, I tell you, just God is moving. I've been seeking God. I've been asking God. I've been saying, God, I said, teach us to feel what you feel. Teach us to Carry the burden that you carry. That we have empathy and compassion for your people. And I think the book of Nehemiah is really stirring me up. And I've been saying, God, we don't want to just do church. We don't want to just talk about it. We want to see you move. We want to see the power of God move. We want, Lord, you to touch us, help us, Lord, to partner with you in the glorious work that you do. And the book of Nehemiah is that book where we see that here is Nehemiah. He's not a prophet, not a teacher, not an evangelist, not an apostle, not a uh, pastor. those fivefold ministry. He was just an ordinary man uh, working in a secular job, um, but when he heard about the news about his people, that his heart broke for them. And we've been talking in the, you know, the first week, we looked at growing in godliness, you know. And it, Nehemiah shows that, you know, to, to serve God um, with passion and focus, he, he served God with passion and focus, but to grow in godliness, and part of that growing in godliness is having godly burden. Amen. That our heart breaks to what God's heart breaks. That the more we pray, that we become more like Christ, that our priorities become, sorry, God's priorities become our priorities. That we put aside our own plans, we put aside our own agendas. The more we seek, you know, the more you hang out with someone, you become like that person. Right? Right? The more you hang out with that individual, you become like that individual. And the more you hang out with God, the more you spend time, that intimacy with God, as you grow in that godliness, God's priorities become our priorities. Hallelujah. That's the first burden. It's, it, the first thing is the burden to grow in godliness. And the more you grow, that you realize the, the, the burden for the lost, that has to stir us up. And then the burden, you know, cultivating this dynamic devotion, we talked about that, is that every time as you, as you cultivate this dynamic devotion, every time you rise up to serve God, there is a position, there is challenges, there is a pushback. But the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, don't get tired in doing good. Don't get tired in doing good because in due season, we will reap the harvest. Why? Because we sang that song that His promises never fail. Amen. His promises never fail. So we don't work to look for a result or or we we work because we look to Christ, not because of a result. Because if it is a result that brings faith, then I tell you what, your faith will uh, crumble quickly because not every time you work for God, you will see a miracle. Not every time you pray that you will have an answer to your prayer, there are times where God is silent. There are times where you feel like that God is away from you, but that's when I want to encourage you. We are called to not to get tired in doing good because the harvest is plenty, the laborers are few, but God is saying, would you rise? Would you have the devotion to keep your eyes on me and rise up and walk with me? And as you labor in me, there will come a day where you will reap a harvest. So don't get tired in doing the work of God. Don't get tired in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. There will be criticism. Nehemiah not only did he have a burden, he had a vision. He cast the vision to the people of Jerusalem, to the Jewish people. And if I can pause there for a second, and I want to talk about this in the last two years that we've been going through these lockdowns and the isolations, and, and, uh, and I've been thinking about this, that how not only have, has this impacted us economically, f- health-wise, but also our mental health as well, because people are not just struggling from the virus, but just the idea of that and how the numbers are going, it's causing people to be anxious. And and I, I wanna I want to say to us that see in the book of uh, in, in Genesis God said to Adam when He looked at Adam He didn't say to Adam sorry but God when He looked at Adam and He said it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good for a man to be alone. It's dangerous for you and I to isolate ourselves emotionally. Yes, there is a season we have to physically, but we don't have to emotionally, we don't have to spiritually. Do you get what I'm saying? It is important for us to stay close to God. He said it's not good for man to be alone. And then you look at Satan when he tempted Jesus because empty mind, I've been saying this, empty mind is devil's workshop. Because when Satan, Jesus was alone after 40 days of praying and fasting, Satan comes to Jesus when Jesus was tired, he was hungry. And the devil comes to him and he starts tempting him. The devil often picks not when you're doing good, but those moments, those weak moments, the devil will come and he will tempt you. And it's not good for us to do Christianity alone. It's not good for us. That's why we're encouraging please stay connected, stay accountable to one another, join a connect group, read the Word of God. The, the source for your spiritual life is the Word of God. The source for your mental health is the Word of God. The source for your physical body is the Word of God. Without God, you and I are nothing. So that's why we've been encouraging, make sure don't walk alone, stay with God, because when you're alone, that's when the devil comes to attack us. The reason I pause there to bring us back to Nehemiah 3 today, because we're looking at Nehemiah 3 is about a team effort. In the book of Nehemiah, there are a number of names, there are a lot of names. It's a book full of it's a chapter full of names and places where these people built the gates. And as we look into this, it talks about the team effort, and it's not just a one-man show, but it's actually a whole team that's come together to do the will of the Lord. It takes you and I, not one person, you and I, to achieve God's purposes, to uh, 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 to achieve the vision God has given us. We see in this book chapter 3, in Nehemiah chapter 3, that God's people had a common goal. They had a common plan that was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah's strategy was fantastic because what he did—he asked people to build these gates closer to their own houses, and because they were close, it was close to their house. They, they took initiative, they took their, they took ownership, and they built those gates. And it's a beautiful chapter. So I want to look at it this morning, and I've titled it called "Stronger Together." Stronger together, because together we can do the will of God. Amen. There are a lot of us today, before I jump into this and look at the 10 gates and what it teaches us, the significance of those 10 gates and why God mentioned those 10 gates in the book of Nehemiah. Before we get into this, I want to say a lot of us come with our individualistic approach and we, instead of complimenting one another, we compete with one another. We start looking, either we say, I'm better than you or you are better than me. Both are wrong. And some people go, I will only serve God if it fits my agenda. We all love God, but God said, if you love me, you go feed my sheep. Amen. So he's saying, if you love me, come join with like-minded people who love me, who follow the word of God. Join with the like-minded people. Put your hands together, lock your spirits together, your hearts together, don't argue with one another, don't gossip against one another, don't pull one another down, but you and I are to build our hands together and build the kingdom of God. When they built these gates, it took the young man, the young boy, the families, the priests, the, the, the blacksmiths, everybody, they were every profession, they all had one common goal, was to build these gates. And I pray that we will have one common goal that is to build the kingdom of God in the hearts and the lives of the, our people around us. Amen. Yes, we are all made differently, we all think differently, we act differently, we we might talk differently, you might not look at me and think, you know, we're not the same, but that's the beauty of us. We're not the same, there is diversity, but we've got to create unity in the diversity. But we approach God, we approach God as, some, some of us approach God as God exists for me. Like He is on tap. That when I call upon Him, He should answer my prayer. He exists for me. Lord, I want a car. Lord, I want a girlfriend. God, I want a house. God, I want to get married. God, I want a job. And God is like a genie. You rub the, what do you call it, the lamp and God appears. We have that mindset that God exists for us. No, you and I exist for God. We are here. The very reason why we breathe air, which is a gift of God, is to fulfill the plan of God. You know, the de- if I was devils, uh, one day Paulina gave me a lovely compliment. Apparently, I play a good devil. But if the, if if I was the devil, I would be quite happy, I would not be threatened by you, Lord, if you're always bickering and arguing and fighting with your own little world, I wouldn't be intimidated by you because you're busy ripping each other down. Amen. Abigail's with me today. So, God doesn't want us to fight and look inward. He wants us to look outward. He wants us to look to the kingdom and look at the needs. There is a world out there that is lost and it needs hope. And the hope is Jesus and he's in you. So where you go, you have that hope. You carry that hope. Amen. So book of Nehemiah. So this whole chapter in chapter 3 is number of. Uh, names and and Nehemiah it did such a good job in recording every name that helped build the gates. They built ten gates, and then when I was reading this book chapter, I was so excited and I was so impressed by how meticulously he chronicled every name of these people that helped build these gates. And I was encouraged by that because. When you and I serve God and build the kingdom of God, the Bible says that we are in the book of the Lamb and our name is written on the palm of His hand. Amen. God knows Isaiah 43, He knows us by name. God knows you by name. Think about that. Think about, if, imagine if the president of the U.S. knows you by name, you'd be pretty impressed by that, won't you? It's like, oh, he knows me now by name. But more than that, God knows you by name. So we're going to look at these 10 gates and do a little alleg- allegorical teaching here, typology. Look at what is that gate for? Why was that gate's men- names mentioned? What's the significance of these 10 gates? And how does it really talk to us in the New Testament today? And the first gate was Sheep Gate in Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1. And if you look at it, these are the gates up there. Can you go back please? Yeah. Those are the gates and you see they build built about 10 gates. And there are ten names to these gates. I'll quickly read them out. There's a sheep gate. There's a fish gate. There's an old gate. There's a valley gate. There's a dung gate. That's funny. There's a dung gate. There's a fountain gate. There's a water gate. There's a horse gate. East gate. We have a west gate. Okay? And an inspection gate. They build these ten gates. Gates are important. So let's look at gate one, which is the sheep gate. The sheep gate reminds us, you know, if I look into the New Testament, you know, before I jump into it, in the Old Testament, when Nehemiah was building the gate, the first gate mentioned here is uh, the sheep gate, because uh, the, the priest brought the sheep through these gates and they offered these sheep as a sacrifice unto God. And so when you look at it uh, in the New Testament, in our context, that, that the sheep um, gate reminds us of Jesus' sacrifice for us and salvation to, uh, that He brought for us. And, and, and He died as a lamb. Amen. And John 10, 9 says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Now, it's pretty cool how they built the gate because each gate, every individual in Jerusalem had a role to build these gates. They had a role to, to, to finish the task that was given to them. So, every individual, families were building these gates. So, the priests were building the fish. Sorry, the sheep gate and the second one is the fish gate. And the fish gate, it talks about, you know, back in the day, that was just like a market. So they went fishing, they got the fish, or the fish came through this gate, and it's called the fish gate. But for us today, you know, we got to build not only a sheep gate, but we got to build a fish gate where we can actually enter the lost soul, souls coming back into the kingdom of God. Amen. The fish gate is a gate where the fishermen, you know, in Galilee, they brought the fish through these gates. And I believe that there are time. there is a time coming where we will see a lot of fish come through these doors because of God. Amen. The Bible teaches that fish is talking about um, uh, 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 evangelism, talking about catching fish, catching souls. And in John cha- Matthew chapter 4, uh, verse 19, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. How to fish for people. What does that mean? Because today we've got to build a gate that is bringing in fish, that is souls, into the kingdom of God. And can I tell you, Fish won't appear on your plate straight from the ocean if you go fishing. They don't jump off the sea, fillet themselves, put some seasoning on themselves, and appear on your plate for them to be eaten. You will not have to go out to the sea to catch the fish. Amen. Amen. So what are we talking about? We're talking about evangelism. We're talking about reaching the lost. We're talking about having a heart for the broken people. And guess what? It's not just my role to do it. It's our role to do do this together. You don't need to be evangelist. You don't need to have an anointing to be an evangelist. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witness. Or the Greek word for that is the martyr. You will be my witness. God wants you and I to be His witnesses. Amen. Are you with me? What I'm talking about today is much more than your 9 to 5 job. What I'm talking about today is the very reason why you and I exist This is the call of God, this is the will of God, this is the plan of God that you and I be the fish gate where we are going out and reaching the lost and sharing the love of Jesus and inviting them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. So that fish gate, let's look at third gate. The third gate means that God's Word never changes. It appears for them to build the old gate. It it, it represents uh, discipleship, growth, obedience to God's Word. You know, the first gate is sheep gate, sacrifice. The next gate is evangelism. And the third gate is discipleship. In, in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6 and verse 16, it says, This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. Ask for the old... Godly way and walk in it. A lot of people think Christianity is old. There are some things, it's not old. There are some, God never changes. His word never changes, amen. So we got to, we don't adjust God into our lifestyle, but we adjust our lifestyle to the word of God. Amen. We don't let the world influence the church, We allow the church to influence the world. I will say that again. We don't let the world influence the church, but the church influences the world. We are called to be disciples to look at this old godly way and walk in it to grow in God, to grow in maturity in Christ. A lot of people think maturity in Christ is how long you've been a Christian. Oh, you've been a Christian for 35 years. Wow, you're a mature Christian. I know some Christians who've been Christians for 35 years, but they're not very mature. Maturity is not how long you've been a Christian, The definition of maturity is how obedient you are to God's Word. Because you can be a Christian. I mean, the old ways and mature. I love the old song that, uh, what's his name, Rupert sang this morning. And I tell you what, I could hear Merv sing. I could hear Merv going for it. It's pretty much everyone was quiet. Just Merv, myself, and the worship team were singing it. It was good. It's good to go back. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's good to go back to these old beautiful songs mixed with new songs, as long as they're theologically correct, and sing them to worship God. But the point is, God never changes. Amen. God never changes. So as you build the old gate... Uh, Reinhard Bonnke said it, if you save somebody through entertainment, you have to entertain them all their Christian life. So if you invite about 100 young people and go, then you have to do that every Sunday going, otherwise, it's boring. No, 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 no. we got to save them with the blood of God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and disciple them with the word of God. That's the only way people's lives are being transformed. They're not transformed by programs. They're transformed by the power of the word of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm encouraging you. Build your gate. Read the Word of God. Don't let a gusty wind knock you out of your position in Christ. Don't let your faith be shaken because your prayer wasn't answered. Get into the Word of God. Amen. Valley gate number four. So these are the gates that they are building, valley gate. Gate reminds us of humility, brokenness, and reveals the sin in our life. We all go through valley. Jesus made the way, the sheep gate, then the salvation, then discipleship, and then after discipleship comes testing time. Who likes to be tested? Nobody likes to be tested but you and I will be tested and challenged. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Because in this world, you will have tribulations. The valley gate. And in Psalm 23, verse 4, we look at Psalm 23, verse 4, valley gate. It talks about, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. Hallelujah. You will be tested and I want to encourage you as we prepare our hearts to go and reach out and lead people to God and bring Christ into their lives. We need to first of all have the discipline to know who God is and to grow in God and when we go through trials and tribulations that our faith is even more stronger than yesterday. Amen. I remember my brother when he came... uh, uh, my brother's a pastor, um, he preached here a few times, but um, uh, he lives in India. He came over to visit us in Christchurch when we had Leo, uh, he was newborn. And so my brother and my dad, I have an OCD, I just joke at home. But, but for some reason, I mean, if you read a paper, it has to be folded exactly the way it actually came home and put it in the right place, in the right symmetrical area. Everything has to be right in the house. If he's watching it, he would be pretty grumpy to hear all this. But, um, so his house is very, 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 very tidy. It's like like a museum. He's very clean, and that's beautiful. Then he comes to my house. And uh, I've got two young children and a third child, so he's busy cleaning my house over here. Put the toys. So Sylvan and Bro go and make mess here. So he runs here and makes cleans up here and one morning, and then they go make mess up here. And after an hour or so, he gave up. He gave up because he got exhausted by doing all these cleaning toys and stuff. Now, why am I talking about that? Why am I saying that? Because every time God, when we go through the valley experience, you know, there's a mess that comes out and God's got to bring cleaning in our lives. Amen. Every time, you know, you, you go here and you think, I've sorted myself, and you come here, there's another problem and an attitude arises within you and God's got to bring cleaning in our lives. Valley Gate helps us, Valley Gate teaches us how to trust God. Valley gate helps us how to trust in Him no matter what happens in our lives. And I believe that this is very significant how Nehemiah and the team build these gates. But for us, we got to understand that even though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, we fear no evil for His rod and staff, they comfort us. Do you see Christ in His fullness when you go through your tough times? Number five is dungate. Dungate is a place of repentance and God really purifying us and of our sins. You know, we all have filth in us. We all have dirt in us. Amen. We all have dirt in us. And the scripture here, it says in Psalm 26 verse 2, Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test my motives and my heart. You know, we've got to always check our hearts why we serve God. Do we serve God for our own glory? Do we serve God for His glory? Put my heart. The psalmist is saying, put me to on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Isaiah 4.4 says, the Lord will wash the filth from beautiful Zion and cleanse Jerusalem of its bloodstains with the hard breath of fiery judgment. That's a powerful word. The Lord's going to judge us all one day, but He's going to wash the filth from beautiful Zion and cleanse Jerusalem of its blood stains with the hard breath of fiery judgment. He's going to cleanse us. The dung gate. There's a lot of dung in a lot of us. Amen. A lot of dung. When we put under pressure, a lot of dung comes out. But God's good at cleaning all that as long as we commit ourselves to God and as we commit other people to God. Why? I'm, again, I want to remind you, stronger together, it takes a team to work this out. Fountain Gate reminds us of being filled by the Holy Spirit. John 7.38 says that anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the Scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Amen. Do you know when you have dung in you, you cannot have fresh living water flowing through you? True? So we got to allow God to wash us and allow the freedom, allow the life and the joy of God to flow through us. Gate 7 is the water gate. Um, the water gate reminds us of God's Word and Jesus in the living water, is the living water. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 26 says, that to make a holy and clean washed by the cleansing of God's word. Now, that context of that scripture is talking about uh, <clears throat> husbands, love your wives as ch- uh, Christ loved the church. And then he says, But to make a holy and clean washed by the cleansing of God's word. Hallelujah. We all need to be washed by God's word. Amen. Get ready to be washed by God's word. Number eight is horse gate. Horse gate uh, reminds us of overcoming and spiritual warfare. You know, horses back in the old days, I don't have time to show scriptures, but they were used. And the, Joel talks about horses and uh, Jeremiah talks about horses. Horses are, were used for battle. Horses were used for to fight, to to wage a war against the enemy. But today, we don't need horses because some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of our God. Amen. We don't need horses, but we already are engaging in a spiritual battle and that battle can only be won, not by riding a horse, but actually allowing Jesus to and come and fight with us and for us and we fight that fight in prayer in Psalm 144 it's not on the screen and verse 1 it says blessed be the lord my god who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle now today when god trains my hands for war and my fingers to, for battle yes there is a war going on in ukraine and russia but the spiritual war i'm believing and i'm praying the spiritual war is Taking ground, not by guns and swords, but taking ground in prayer, taking ground in word of God, taking ground through worship. As you pray, as you sing, as you read, as you pray, as you sing, as you read, you take ground. Amen. Revelations nineteen eleven says, Then I saw heaven opened, A white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. These are some good scriptures. God's going to come. He's going to fight the battle. And I'm telling you, we're talking about revive. We've been talking about revive. We want God to revive our hearts and uh, bring a revival within us. And I tell you what, if we cannot capture the heart of God as Nehemiah did, we can't be the light and be effective out there in the community. So what we're thinking leading up to Easter, uh, we've been thinking uh, and praying about this, that we want to start a 40-day fasting prayer. A 40 days of fasting prayer and uh, I've been sitting on this for nearly three weeks praying, seeking God. Do we do 40 days? Do we do 20 days? How does it look like? What do we fast? And I've talked and i talked to God. I've prayed and I've talked to people and just witness an amen in them. So we are looking at starting, I think it's on the 8th of March, we're going to go into fasting prayer. 40 day fasting and we will give you information. The pure thing is, we don't want you to fast um, Netflix, we don't want you to fast, a chocolate we don't want, no that's not what we're talking about we're asking you to fast one meal a day at least we're going to teach on that later on, after this series is finished, we're going to teach on prayer we're going to teach on fasting we're going to teach on, how do we take a spiritual ground out there? Is through prayer it's through prayer And for a lot of Christians, prayer is the boring thing to do. Why? Because they have not understood the depth and the power of prayer. So I'm asking you, 40 days, fast a meal a day. And if you medically can't fast, well, you're exempted. But everyone else, I'm encouraging you to fast because we need to see God move in this city. We need to see God move in this nation and we need to see God move through our lives. And I'm asking you, let us pray and fast and see God. Let us wage a war in prayer. Number nine is Eastgate. Eastgate reminds us of the second coming of the Lord. I don't have time to take you through all these, but in Zechariah chapter 14 verse 4, on that day his feet will stand on Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east and west. Half the mountain will move towards the north and the half towards the south. Talking the day when God comes, he's going to judge us all. there will be half gone that way, half this way because I tell you, He will come and divide between sheep and goat. Are we following God because we love God or is it are we following because it's just like, oh, it's a good thing to have a bit of Christ in us. No. I'm asking you, God's going to come back one day. He's going to judge us all one day and He's going to decide whether we go Here or there. And the last gate is inspection gate. I love this, the last gate. We all will be inspected by the Lord one day. It talks about examination of our lives. Um, How is my heart attitude? I don't care what that brother does to me, but how is my attitude towards that brother? How is my attitude towards that sister? God's going to inspect us all. Psalm 26 verse 2, it says, put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me again. Test my motives and my heart. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove that I am right. (laughs) Isn't that good? We think that we are all good because our conscience is clear. But Paul knew the secret. He says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I am right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. Amen. It is the Lord who will examine me and who will decide. So, back to the story of being stronger together. These guys built these walls. It took everyone to build these walls. And I'm asking you, it will take all of us to build the kingdom of God. Amen. It's going to take you and I. Can I get the worship team, please? It's going to take you and I to build the kingdom of God. And what it's teaching me through this scripture says, there's a team effort. The whole process is team effort. Everyone had something to offer. Whether you are young, whether you are old, we all have something to offer. Don't uh, disqualify yourself. Don't pull yourself down. Don't think you can't achieve much. Can I just say your time may be very precious to you, but I have to say, is it? are you using it for God's will? A lot of people fight for time, but I want to encourage you, you know, we all have something to, to offer, but when you do something, make sure that you check your heart, that you're doing it for God. Number three, you know, rebuilding often uh, began at home. We all got to rebuild our own walls first, amen. How is, your, how is my wall? How is your wall? Number four was, the work was voluntary. The work was Voluntary. You know, I want to say this. When you serve God, don't serve God with a voluntary mindset. Don't serve God as a volunteer. You serve as a volunteer at SPCA. That's voluntary work. This is not voluntary work. This is serving the master himself. This is serving Jesus himself. It's a privilege to serve Jesus. It's an honor to serve Jesus. It is an honor to be chosen by God to to serve in the kingdom of God. David realized it and that's why he said, he penned it down, he said, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. One day in the presence of God than thousands elsewhere. God might be calling you to serve in the community, but if that's where God is calling you, make sure that you serve in community, but you're fed at church. God might be calling you to serve in a business world. Fantastic, but let not your worldly success make your heart go cold for God. That you think that the church and the Bible is outdated but these clever formulas from the world is the way to go. That is wrong. So please don't have a volunteer mentality. I often say that, and I say that again, me serving you as God's people, it's a privilege and an honor, but I don't do that out of compulsion, I do that out of joy. Not as a duty, but as a privilege. Not because I got the title pastor; the title came later. That's how God works. Titles come later. What matters is, are you serving God wholeheartedly? And as I said in the end, God is a recorder of names. And He's got your names recorded in the book of life. So as we close this morning, I want you to really examine your heart because I tell you what, God's heartbeat is beating for those that don't know him and he wants us to be the hands and feet. And God is saying, are you ready to go and be my witness in the community? Are you ready to be my hands and feet? in the community, in the church? Are you ready to serve? Are you ready to build the walls? Are you ready to build the walls that have been broken, that have been destroyed, that have been weakened by the devil? Are you prepared to build these walls? And my question to us today, are you ready to build the sheep gate, the water gate, the dung gate, the old gate, the east gate, and all the other gates, are we prepared to build these gates? Because I tell you, as we build this, it's going to take all of us together and we serve God, not with a volunteer mentality, but we serve God with joy. Because as I say, said earlier, the Bible says, Galatians 6, 9, yes, we may not see the harvest straight away. We may not see the harvest in a week's time, but the harvest is coming. It is coming because He said so. Jesus said so. He is not a liar. His promises are true. The harvest is coming. Are we ready to actually plow the field, to work hard with all our strength, with all our might, with all that within us and say, God, thank you for choosing me in the kingdom of God. Now I give myself to you, as John said, that I may decrease, that Christ may increase. That my agenda's goes out the window, and your agendas become my priority. For we want to live for your glory, God.